0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at soundtalentmedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit jabberjawmedia.com for more shows like this one. Break it down, Dada. Break it down, oh, break it down. Break it down, oh, break it down. Break it down, oh break it down
1: Break it down, oh break it
0: down Let's Matt Cutter Yeah! Alright, welcome to the show everybody. Uh, my name's Matt and I have a really cool guest today. Somebody I've known for about 15 years. His name is Derek Tenbush. He currently lives in North Carolina. I met Derek when he was working at Tooth and Nail, doing distribution and things like that in 19, in, 19, in 2004, I believe, I met Derek and have been friends with him ever since. And now Derek has moved on from the music business as a professional poker player and founder of a company called Tournament Poker Edge uh, that does poker training. So it's in the gambling world, in the poker world, um, Really cool guy, somebody who has been able to figure out what he wanted to do in life and then do it, do things, take different paths than other people. Always been somebody fun. He's a, he's a great guy because if you just, he's into craft beers, he's into poker, he's into music. And if you go to his house, he's got a sweet place in a big basement and he'll just take you down there and play poker with you all night. And he's got great whiskey and craft beers. Uh, lives in North Carolina, awesome guy, Derek Tenbush. Derek, I'll talk to you in just a second. I want to tell a couple of, I want to make a couple of announcements before we get going here and uh emory has got a couple shows coming up so i hope everybody will come see those that is february 16 and 17 that's a friday saturday and like basically a week and a half from now and that's for seven dollars that show those shows are with emory in in nashville and atlanta they're going to be great tickets are selling so get yours before they are gone at seven dollars a piece and then also we just announced matt and toby is back back active again. Been dormant for a while, but we just started a new record. The drums are done, and we're doing a tour with the Classic Crime in May. You can get tickets for that and see all the dates at theclassiccrime.com, but I think that one's going to be really fun, too. And then I'm going to mention our sponsor for this episode, Loot Crate. I'll tell you more about it later on, but I'm going to mention it right now. Loot Crate is a sponsor of the show. I'm very happy and thankful to them. Uh, They've got some really cool stuff. I got a cool box last month. Uh, You can go to lootcrate.com forward slash down and check that out. And if you if you find a box you like and, and order it, use the promo code down and you get $3 off of that. All right, Derek, how's it going, man? It's going great, Matt. How are you doing, man? Very good. Um, I know you got stuff going on today. After here, after this, you have to go down to a poker event tonight or is it some other kind of event?
2: Actually, tonight's a beer event. So there's this, uh, this cool party going on downtown for the launch of Google Fiber here mm-hmm. in the Raleigh area. And uh, we're the official beer sponsor. So we're heading down for that.
0: What is your what is your role in the beer thing? You have a, you work with a brewery? Is the one that yeah, we went to last time we were there? Yep, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Local craft brewery called
2: Lone Rider Brewing Company. I've mm-hmm. uh, been around about eight years. Uh, I've been with them about four and a half. And uh, I basically do marketing for them. I oh, struggle that's to right. Do, yeah. I struggle to figure out what my title is. Sometimes I say like consultant. Sometimes mm-hmm. I say like independent contractor. So I Sort of just sort of freelance for them.
0: Yeah. Consultant is a weird word. It's one that I think about because a lot of what I do is talking to people about stuff and sharing information in my head and helping them develop things, which sometimes sounds like consulting. You know, I don't, you know, I don't feel or, and the other one that, that trips me out, the people that you, are. And the other people say is people throw around the word entrepreneur and consultant. um, Both of which I don't like the feel of both of them sound like something that I don't identify with, but I don't know what else, what other language to use. Yeah. I have trouble
2: with that a lot. I could never really figure out like when people say like, what do you do? Mm -hmm. And I kind of have my hands in a lot of things and none of them I like the name, the name of like so I'm always just like ah, uh, work for myself.
0: Why do you think yeah. it is? Do you think it's uh? Do you think it's embarrassing to say you do something like play a game for a living? <laughs> like I play cards for a living. Like it, it just or is it because it is it because it's embarrassingly silly or it's going to be hard to explain or it sounds like you're bragging? It can be any of those three.
2: I think it's a few. Yeah, I think it's like a combination of those mm-hmm. things. Like they're all they're all very nebulous. Like entrepreneurship is sort of nebulous. Mm-hmm. Like you know if you. I don't know. Like if you own a store, but you don't make any money, like you're still an entrepreneur, but that's, that's right. not making a living. <laughs> um, and like the professional poker thing has always been weird to me because it's not, it's never been defined. So like if you play poker, does that just automatically make you a professional or do you have to make a certain amount of money doing it? But what about the years you lose money and don't win? Yeah. So then you're like a professional one year and not the next year. So. <laughs> um, that's, and yeah, and yeah. I think I think sometimes too, like a lot of people have, sort of attached this negative connotation to entrepreneurship. like
0: it, I, think oh, it I thought you were be- going to say negative connotation to gen- gen- d- degenerate gambler.
2: Oh, that too. <laughs> for sure. Well, a lot of people would, would like, like 50 years ago, if you were an entrepreneur, you were like, Oh, he's a successful business owner mm-hmm. who, you know, did started his own thing. But now I think it, it almost has this like connotation attached where you, you couldn't get a job. Yeah. Like, nobody would hire you. You're so a hustler you or
0: something. Your like, you're selling yeah. CDs out of your trunk, right?
2: <laughs> right, exactly. And poker's the exact same yeah. thing. Like, you tell, you try to tell somebody oh, I'm a professional poker player, they just instantly think that you're hanging out in smoky casinos, doing drugs and stealing money from people or something.
0: So. Yeah. Well, there's a – yeah. I mean, it, I guess poker's a stigmatized thing even more so. But, it, but on the other hand, I would have to think that these days, that poker is at an all-time popularity, right? <sighs> Around the world, for sure. Uh, other what? countries are are
2: blowing up in terms of poker, like Brazil, uh, a lot of European countries. America's kind of a weird uh, place right now in a lot of ways, uh, but for poker as well, uh, because we the, the government effectively shut down online poker mm-hmm. um, like six years ago or so. Uh, so now it's kind of hard to tell how big it is, because the only real... Uh, numbers you can look at are the people who are actually playing live poker, and that's such a small part of what poker is. So, um, but it's definitely worldwide. It's I, I would I would say it's for sure at its peak.
0: Well, you know it's a, it's a what I'm saying is as it relates to telling people what you do. Uh, m- way more people since it's been on I guess ESPN or I don't know when the boom was, but there was a boom. It might have been ten years ago when poker became widespread. Widespread and everybody was playing hold'em because when I grew up my dad went to poker night on Wednesday night He'd go out and drink with his friends at somebody's basement one thing fun that he would do. and Well, he played golf on Sunday and poker night on Wednesday, which actually, yeah. at, at this point in my life, I wish I had both of those things. I don't. I to do a lot of other fun stuff. But he would go on poker night Wednesdays, and they would play. I'd been to it before. He'd show me sometimes when I was a kid what they would do, but they were just playing what I would call more old-school poker games, where they would call it out, and they'd play seven-card stud or five-card draw, or they would name the game and name what was wild and do whatever, like normal poker. Uh, b- it wasn't tournament poker either. It was just you play hands for money or chips and then you cash out when it's done. Right. I don't know what you call that. But, um, but at some point, there was just this explosion where everything was hold'em and everybody was knew what it was and how to play it. And if somebody said you want to play poker, they meant we'll do a tournament, we'll do the blinds, we'll get the chips. You know, Everybody yeah. knew what we were talking about. What sparked that? How did that get to that place? Do I, am I Am I assessing the history correctly?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You, you nailed it. Exactly. So everybody in the poker world calls that the the moneymaker boom, uh-huh. which is the, the year that a guy named Chris Moneymaker, who was an accountant from Tennessee, won the World Series of Poker main event on ESPN. Uh-huh. And that was sort of the before that it had always been professional poker players that won. He was this kind of a kid at the point. I think he was maybe like 28 or 30 or something. Uh-huh. Uh, and he beat all the pros. And his last name was MoneyMaker, wow. so it couldn't be more perfect. So then the whole world just went, "Oh wait, I can do that." Yeah, if an accountant yeah. from Tennessee could win the main event. Then certainly I can do it. I, li- I like to play poker. I'm good at poker, and uh-huh. then, it was just massive growth from there.
0: And that was, and then it became, in, it was in the mainstream where people like accountants were doing it, not sleazy people that lived in Vegas or loan shark involved. You know, wasn't as under, wasn't underground as much from that point on. Right. Did and you say what also, year that was?
2: Uh, that would have been neighborhood. like, yeah, it had to be like 2005 or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I could be off by a couple of years, but somewhere in that range.
0: I remember it being common around 2003, 4, and 5 when I first was like, oh, okay, you can sit down and do this." you know, it just, it started, I started hear, and everybody kind of knew. And then when we were on tour all the time, it'd be extra days or time in hotel rooms. You get people together and play in hotel rooms and stuff like that. In 2005 and 6, I remember specifically everybody, seemed like everybody knew how to play this particular game that's popular now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't know how many people are good at it or not. That's the weird thing. You never know. Like, uh, you sit down and play with somebody and you can't... It Weird things happen when you play one game kind of thing. So I think that's the and the fun thing about it, too, maybe is that whole thing you're saying, that some, you can really play with... It's a game that you can play across a lot of skill levels, sometimes on a one-off, and it's not like, it's not like playing tennis. Like, if, right. if me and you play poker together... I'll win a lot of hands and I may win the pot that night. But if you were right. way better, if you were a professional tennis player and I'm an amateur, I can't win a point. You know right?
2: I mean? and not to mention, you would never get to play me in right. tennis yeah. if, if I was a pro and you were an amateur. It's like pro, poker is the only place where you can sit down at a table with the best pit in the world and play with them. Like you can't go play basketball with LeBron You can't. Yeah,
0: there's just nothing. Yeah, you couldn't get the opportunity to and there would be no point to it in, in right. any way. You couldn't even play well enough with them to learn anything. Right, but if exactly. I sit down and play poker with you, I learn constantly what you did on that and why you did that. And you, you may win or you may lose. And typically you get transparency of what I figure out what you were doing. A lot of times, most of the time I get to see your cards too. Not most times. Right. A lot of the time I get to see your cards as well. So it's yeah. really inviting for for new people. Is the, uh, is the culture in general a welcoming one or is it like surfing where if you get out there with the people on the waves, they get your, irrit- like, is there a... What is the culture like? How welcoming, or is it not? When you, if somebody that's not really good walks into a, a place or gets in a game online,
2: I think it, it varies. Um, I mean, like I guess any community, you have bad apples, you know, who don't necessarily treat new people with the best of respect. But I think for the most part, it's a pretty open and and welcome, a welcoming community. May, I think a lot of that has to do with it. it it's become a very young person's game, mm-hmm. um, so. Because the, the kids who came up, you know, the, the old school pros just kind of kept doing what they were doing. And the new kids who came up, 16, 17, 18 year old kids, were like using hand simulators and analyzing statistics. And so it's become a young person's game. And I think young people in general are just, you know, they're just a little more open minded mm-hmm. and welcoming to all different communities and different types of people. So I think for the most part, it's pretty cool. It reminds me actually not it's not much different than kind of what the independent music scene was like when we Mm -hmm. first met, you know, a lot of people sort of showing support for each other and things like that.
0: Well, maybe one of the reasons why you'd be welcoming (laughs) of newcomers is because you're at least about to get to take their money.
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's definitely a part of it. There's a, there's a sort of, so bad players in poker are usually referred to as fish. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's this kind of unwritten code that you don't tap the tank, meaning you don't tap on the fish tank and disturb the, the fish. Uh-huh. Uh, so a lot of times it's sort of self-correct. The community the community polices itself. So if somebody's like berating a new player who's bad, they'll be like, dude, don't tell him he's bad or he won't come back. Yeah. You know, um, which makes it kind of a weird. I, I've oh, always, that's cool. I, I've always tangled a little bit with the the sort of moral and ethical aspects of poker because it really is a game about finding people who are weaker than you and taking their money.
0: Yes, okay, let's stay here for a second. I wrote down the word ethics, but that's exactly what I would be interested to to talk about next is, okay, so the whole thing is, I mean, yeah, like on one hand, you can just look at it, ignore the fact that gambling is illegal or stigmatized or whatever that is, but just the whole, I don't know. I guess that's the thing. Cause I mean, any board game you play, it has a nature to it, which is just centered around weakness and domination or predatory or do whatever you can at all times. But so now you've attached money to it. Um, so how is it ethical or not ethical? How do you, what's the, what's the, just the general reason why it's okay in general to play against somebody and try to, to win and take their money?
2: I mean, I guess at the most simple level, the reason is, is that that person has a choice, right? Whether they want to sit down in that game or not. Mm -hmm. Um, but then you could start to make arguments like, does that still make it like, okay, you know? So like, you know, uh, trying to think of a good comparison so a girl has a choice if she wants to push a guy but that doesn't mean the guy should push her back you know maybe that's not the best example but even though like the person is sort of putting themselves in this situation doesn't necessarily mean that you should take advantage of it so you'll have people who've drank too much or that you know have a legitimate gambling problem Uh and then you have to sort of make a decision like well do i want to take this person's money You know, it's like, oh, well, I know this person has a child
0: and a house to pay for. Um, is the easier but- it is to win from them, make it a little bit feel less ethical as it goes? Like if you play somebody that's equally matched, you know, they're good and you win. You obviously feel less bad than somebody who, you know, is a fish and, you, you know, you know stuff about them personally and you know that you'll be able to take their money over time. That makes it harder.
2: Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. And it, it's probably a little different for me, too, because I don't I don't rely exclusively on my income from mm-hmm. poker uh, t- to survive so I can pass up those edges. I could just say, OK, well, I'm just going to not play with this guy or I'm not yeah. going to play in this tournament or whatever. I will just won't take their money. But typically, I mean, if I go to the World Series... Somebody
0: else will, though, is the next thing you think in your head. If I don't take his money, somebody else is going to. Right.
2: And somebody will happily take mine and not feel bad about it. Yeah, the person who's better than me isn't going to feel guilty when they take my money. So it's I won't say that it's something that I... Like, it's never made me go, oh, I should really quit playing poker. Right. But it's definitely something that I think about occasionally. Like, I'll just sort of ponder. Like, was that right? I don't know. Uh, and I don't know that I'll ever know.
0: Well, you know, for sure, consensual people playing that where everything, nobody's hustling or cheating or really taking advantage of another person and they want to gamble together. I mean, that to me seems like not a problem at all. I don't understand people that would oppose that in a general way. That's along the lines of the, you know, fundamentalist thinking that would just say the whole thing is bad, bad for you. It'll take you down a bad road, all that kind of stuff. And I don't, I don't agree with that at all, but I'm just, but certainly there'd be somewhere where you get into, uh, there, you know, we can do a raffle at an elementary school, no problem. But on the other hand, loan sharks and people that prey on people on the deepest levels of where gambling is seedy is obviously a a bad thing. So it's interesting that it's interesting that there'd be stuff in between that and where it is and where the boundaries would would lie for sure,
2: right., yeah, and I think like it's a common argument that poker players use when they're arguing for like why isn't poker more broadly legalized? And a lot of the people who push against online poker being legalized are people who rely very much on gambling. So state governments, for example, don't want online poker to be legalized, but they're more than happy to collect profits from lottery tickets which is
0: just taking money from people almost entirely yeah i mean so yeah. that's, a, that's I mean, almost a one-way you know voluntary tax is what we call the lottery
2: right yeah like like you said you've played a little bit of poker and you you're you're probably you know you're better than some people but worse than a lot of people i would but think you so. have a better chance of entering the world series of poker main event and winning
0: <laughs> than, than you have i like the that parallel he, uh, comp- somebody's played poker. Less than one hundred times, like me, uh, could has a better chance of winning the World Series of Poker than winning the lottery. Should I play with a whatever amount of buy-in? That way. Wait, what's the buy-in to, to begin the, the lowest level of that? By the way, uh, the so there's series about
2: sixty tournaments that happen at the entire World Series of Poker. It's a series. It's a it's a two month long series. Mm-hmm. The lowest are around five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, the highest is actually about a million. But the the famous one that everybody watches on TV, which is the World Series of Poker main event, is $10,000 to buy it.
0: Interesting. Um,
2: So, by the way, I'm not saying... Hey, you all should go <laughs> join the World Series of Poker. Right. No. <laughs> um, but I'm also not saying you should spend $10,000 on lottery tickets.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the it's cool to me to see independent stuff work out like this and police itself and regulate and prove even apart from the government that it can work and it can work well and there can be a, a good stable community of humans if you let their themselves have their own checks and balances and don't push it into I think that's part of the problem with legalization. Um, and you could use the same for drugs or prostitution or uh, tons of other stuff. If you could just make it legal, it could be regulated and people aren't, I don't believe inherently good. And uh, there's, I mean, you'll find bad individuals every single place you look. But if you get enough people, you build a structure and a society or a microculture that does take care of itself because that's the whole uh, history of humanity. Like if we were back to the walking dead, everybody's on their own, everything's gonna be nasty. And the only th- difference in that and this is our societal structure is upheld that we've created ourselves, basically. Right. So an indie music scene takes care of itself. The poker scene, once you get legitimate above board people and let it be beat, something that's legal and can take care of itself and not have to be underground, then it, it can take care of itself and be a, a healthy place. And I think yeah. it is a lot like the music community. When you say that, it reminds me of sometimes if we play a show, let's say we, the, the problem is you get to these things where you, everything is super specialized or you're divorced from the reality. So a lot of poker, for instance, is online. So they're not real people in a, in a lot of ways. They're just, you know, sets of cards sitting around a screen. Um, and then you, you've already decided you're a professional poker player. You know, you have all these things that are already the situation, and then it, it just becomes business at some point. But uh, same with being in a band. We have a booking agent. You have a manager. You have all this stuff. And sometimes you get a guarantee to go play somewhere in South Texas, and the number looks good, and you say, okay. And then you go down there to do it, and then you realize, uh-oh, this is a kid promoter that our booking agent talked into offering us a, too much of a guarantee. They're not going to sell near enough tickets. Um And at the end of the night, they thought it would be a huge show because Emory came, but nobody ever comes to fill in the blank town. Therefore, if they did come, it would be a huge show. And so I can offer them way more money than they're worth. And I didn't even notice any of that till the day we roll up there. And I look at this promoter in the eye and go, holy shit, we didn't go play Dallas to come down here for this money. And there's not going to be enough money. What am I? What are we gonna do? I mean, I feel bad for this person, but we already budgeted the whole tour, all this stuff. Are we gonna take this person's money? Uh, you know, are we gonna send them the the tour manager with them to the ATM at the end of the night because the, you know this isn't gonna work. So, right. you know, it's something about the uh just the communication of it and the you know, the, 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 I'll tell you what it is. That's what's the, the, there's the parallel is the mixture of professional and unprofessional always has bad stuff like that. Cause to me, it's just business. It's no, n- normal business. Do I play, I get paid whatever. And then you run into an amateur who's in trouble and you're like, well, if we were all professionals here, this would have been fine. But since we're not, what, how do we, how right. do you settle it?
2: Yeah. I and mean, I mean, and this has happened in, in online poker with, with sites being unregulated mm-hmm. when, when they're unregulated, nobody knows what they're doing with your money. You know, mm-hmm. you, have, you have money sitting in a in a, in a poker sites bank and you, you hope that when you go to cash out, they're going to give you your money. But it's happened that they haven't. And it's sort of it's very similar because there's nobody overseeing it or in charge of it. Mm-hmm. And f- certainly for, for U.S. citizens, we're all still playing online poker. We're just doing it in an unregulated environment where we have no protection and no recourse if we get screwed over.
0: So uh, it is Ill- it was legal like. How, tell me what the legality situation has been from when it wasn't and then it was and now it's cracked down somehow. Yeah, so it's it's kind of a really...
2: It, it's a very shady sort of gray area. And to be a very honest, I might not even be the perfect person mm-hmm. to, to explain it. But essentially what it is, is there's no law against playing online poker. I'm not breaking any law by by playing online poker. What there is a law against is banks doing financial transactions with poker sites. Okay. So... The real the real legal issues come in that sort of higher level financial transaction area, uh, but that's where that's where the trouble starts because if the government shuts down one of those poker sites or penalizes one of these banks for doing these transactions, it f- funnels down obviously to yeah. affect me and. So other they poker do players. that in
0: order to keep people from doing it. That's just the way they instead of uh, suing or coming to your house. To, you know, raiding your house, the individuals they figure they could cut it off by making the finances not. That, I mean, that's the intent of the of the legal situation, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which and is good because real- it's like people download music. I mean, it sucks when that people come to some kid's house and give throw them in jail and get my hundred thousand dollar fine to deter. Like, yeah. there's a better way to do it than that. Um, but it is technically legal for you and me to pe- pe- to play poker together and wager if I hand you the money directly.
2: Uh, well, online, online, yes, but live is sort of a whole different story. Also, actually I should qualify, quantify too, that you're in Washington. Mm -hmm. So actually in Washington, I believe they actually have a very specific ban on online poker. So Uh there are some States that are different. Um, and it's going to be state by state for live poker as well. So, uh, like when you guys came to my house and played poker, we were most certainly breaking the law. Sorry. <laughs> to play Start poker to in the basement you know for 20
0: bucks is illegal. Okay.
2: <laughs> yeah. it's, But it never really gets uh, – it's not something that ever sure. happens. Well, I shouldn't say never, but it's very rare that they shut down games. Um, you'd have to be doing it for some sort of large profit. So like if I was inviting you guys over and, and I wasn't playing, but I was just making money from you, yeah. then it would be a different story. Sure. But,
0: well, so – what I'm curious about is like, uh, what is, is there a, a certain way to do it? Like, how do you, there's a overseas site. I mean, you don't have to name any sites, but if there are sites that people can gamble on, how, how would you know if it was safe if your money's safe or not?
2: Unfortunately, you really don't know, uh, at least for Americans. Um, so in other countries, poker stars is a very well re- you know, very reputable company that people can play on and it's, it's regulated and all this stuff, it's a publicly traded company, so you're you can be pretty well assured, at least as assured as you can be that your money is safe. Sites that we can play on in America, that you'll, you'll never be 100 percent sure. You just have to sort of um, sort of leverage your money in a way that you're not gonna, ever going to lose too much. So you just you keep a certain amount on there. Yeah, um, and you can't really. It's not like you can very easily just put money in there on, from your bank and take money out. So. You end up doing sort of like a lot of personal trading of money. Oh, I see. So, you know, you might hand me a 500 well, you hand me a $100 bill. I put $100 in your poker account for you. You play, you win, I give you some money back. But now more than anything, people are using Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's sort of become the new, the new currency for online poker.
0: Well, so if you do Bitcoin, you can just play. It's no different than me and you sitting in the basement as far as how we do our money. It doesn't go through a third party. So it l- leaves every, the banks out to, if we go Bitcoin, right? Essentially, yeah. It, well, what
2: it really does is it it puts the Bitcoin wallet in between the poker site and the bank. Mm-hmm. So the poker site's never doing a transaction oh, directly. I see. With it the
0: still bank. goes to the banks from the Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, well you know, if I that technology the, goes on and it becomes even more adopted, at some point we will have a, m- more of a widely regulated, I, I guess, it's cryptocurrency is what you call that, where yeah. it where the whole thing could be done apart from banking. Don't you think one day we'll be there?
2: Yeah, I, I think that's very likely.
0: And that'll um, be a mess for the government.
2: Yeah. I mean, they're losing out on millions and millions mm. of tax dollars. Um, but, you know, they they sort of get this pressure from certain political parties that don't want to. And when I say parties, I don't mean Republicans or Democrats. I just mean, right. You know, entities um, that don't want this stuff to go on.
0: Um, What did you say a second ago? You said kids coming up these days, they do statistics and hand. What did you say? I wanted to come back to that. Hand triggers, what did you say? call them? There's tons of like like hand
2: simulators and stuff. Yeah, what is that? um, It's essentially, it's sort of like game theory, computers running game theory simulations. Mm -hmm. So, you can you can tell your computer okay I have this hand and my opponent has one of this one of this range of hands mm-hmm. and here's the flop mm-hmm. the community cards and then the, the computer will literally tell you the best course of action right. to take at every point in the hand so it'll say oh you should have raised here or you should bet here It's um, like knowing
0: exactly what to do in blackjack hit or, or not or split it's like, But yeah. it's way more complicated, there's way more percentages, and thus a computer is very valuable. So you could be sitting there with a hand simulator inputting all the stuff, and it's giving you the best statistical move in real time. Is that they're able to do that and keep up with games and be input, you know?
2: No. It, it, the, the Basically, they're not powerful enough to do it that quickly yet. Uh-huh. So you, you would never have time to, to run all the simulations. Uh, so like running a, running, one, running one hand simulation might take like 20 or 30 minutes. So you'd never have time. So, but what what people are doing is going back in hindsight, taking hands that they played, and seeing what they should have done differently, and then applying that knowledge to future hands.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it really is learning that, like that, you learn from that, and then you take the head knowledge into your next game. It's not a cheat. No, no. Uh, Is there cheating? There's
2: almost certainly cheating on some level in some games. So, for example, if there's a Let's just say there's a, a game of six players playing poker online. There's going to be times where two of those people are talking to each other on Skype, okay, and saying, "Oh, I have this. You know, you should fold or raise, and I'll re-raise, and that'll make that guy fold." Uh, that stuff certainly happens, but I and there are there have been instances, at least, uh, pretty well, like. A pretty good chance that it's happened where people have used bots to play poker, Mm -hmm. similar to what these these hand analysis tools do, but not quite as complex. Um, But it's pretty rare. I don't think anybody should not play poker if sure. they're worried about the- no, not, it. No, I'm not.
0: I'm not trying to make it be scary. I'm just interested in the how it works out there and what are the the thing. I, I'm interested in that part of it, like uh, the training and the thinking. And re- basically, it's just like in uh, sports. I mean, there's going to be performance enhancing drugs and what's illegal. But in the end, you know whatever new methods people learn to, to calculate odds and do stuff, that's just going to uh, continually be present and and give people the edge. So you're going to have to, as a poker player, I imagine, always keep up with the latest stuff. You can't be the old school poker guy that just goes on his gut anymore. Right. Because everybody's armed at least with statistics. And as they further lean into that and other stuff becomes available, then uh, you you I mean you just have to keep up, right?
2: Yeah. And I, and I think what you're going to see is you're going to start to see that mentality sort of, Uh, transfer to other sports and other games, Mm -hmm. you know, so, I mean, you kind of saw it with baseball, like with the whole money ball concept. I think you're eventually going to see it in more, more in football. You know, there's this whole argument that you should never punt and you should always go for two and you should go for an onside kick every single time. And Mm -hmm. it's all just math based arguments that are really impossible to refute. Like Mm -hmm. you can't argue with statistics, um, but people still punt all yeah. the time.
0: Well, you know? but, that's, but that takes the human fact. That's really interesting. And it's, I heard of Malcolm Gladwell talking about underhand free throws, same way. Anybody that shoots under a certain percentage of like 60% or something, those big guys that can't shoot free throws, if they would switch to underhand, they would matter-of-factly improve and then be playable at the end of games. But they won't because they're embarrassed. It's just too embarrassing to shoot granny style. It's just not worth it right. to them as people. And football coaches the same way. If you go for an onside kick, you, you know, you, maybe you're going to get it one out of eight times, which is probably pretty close to the odds there. And uh, that means the other seven times you're going to feel, feel like and be called and look like a clown. But overall, right. if you take that advantage of another possession per seven, it would help you mathematically speaking, like you give up X amount of yards six times and then you get it. To, I don't know if, I don't know if that's actually what it works out to be, but whether it be to not punt or how to go for it in certain situations, but they don't do it mostly because of either just old school gut attitude that ignores right. the math or they're just too embarrassed to do it. Or there'd be two other ramifications for it, yeah, even though they yeah, know it's better.
2: Right. They're they're like, basically they're afraid to get fired. Right. The coach. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sort of amazed that Bill Belichick hasn't done more of this because mm-hmm. he's fireproof. Yep. He's never going to get fired and he has the team to pull it off. Like if he went, if he went for it on fourth down, he'd probably make it 20% more than every other team. in yeah, the NFL. yeah, I believe that too. Yeah. And they would be winning games like 72 to 10 and stuff. Yes. But <laughs> I, I guess it goes back to that, like old school, like you were saying that old school gut thing. Like yep. he, at the end of the day, he's still like an old school football coach. Mm-hmm. And when it's fourth and one on the opponents, 45, he just punts.
0: It's bizarre. And then keeping on the sports thing there, are are you interested in or do you do any other type of gambling? Like uh, do you you bet on sports at all?
2: I do like very like low-level sports betting. So like, you know, I think I have $100 on the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I do a little bit of uh, daily fantasy sports. Mm -hmm. So like FanDuel and DraftKings, but also at a very low level because I'm frankly just not very good at it.
0: But uh, is, st- at is that Devils. still about having an ed- like? Is that a different category than playing poker as far as it being a skill thing? You know, because hard to make it's hard to have an edge betting a spread or money line.
2: Yeah, I think betting betting at the end of the day is like spinning a roulette wheel. Mm-hmm you know, or, or playing a hand of blackjack, like you might be able to get the smallest edge because you've found a little nugget of information that Mm -hmm. somebody else missed. And I know there's many sports bettors who will argue that, that there's more skill to it than that. DFS is actually very similar to poker in that
0: daily fantasy sports. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. Daily fantasy sports. So on the, on the surface level, it seems very much just sort of random because you pick players and then you hope that those players do well. Mm -hmm. But much like poker, there are daily fantasy sports professionals who are running hugely complex simulations of all these things and realizing that Antonio Brown gets two more catches when he plays on turf than when he plays on grass mm-hmm. over the you know, wow. over an 80-game uh, sample. And
0: therefore, he's worth just this much more money. He's undervalued this uh, in the program. This is what they're looking yeah. for. Yeah. Right. Well, that's kind of what all sports betting is. Like, you're not looking at who, what team is better. You look at which team is overrated, thus the spread. You know, you're just trying to get a little half point or point. You know, disagreement with what the the general public thinks the spread is. Right. Yeah.
2: And again, that's definitely not an area I'm an expert in, but I am very fascinated by the similarities between DFS and poker. So and, you and think in
0: time as it goes and the more that develops more and more that it will become more and more of a skill thing. Well, it, will it be more of a thing later or is right now the time that there's so many, I mean, almost everybody playing is completely amateur. So it seems like that'd be a very exploitable place for a professional.
2: In the DFS yeah. world. Yeah. Yeah. Right now I, I've seen numbers and I don't know how honest, how accurate they are, but Something like 2% of the players in DFS are basically winning all the money. That
0: makes sense to me. Yeah. Given the fact that most people are just like pulling for whoever they, you know, they're just like having fun with it. But then the people right. that get the edge are going to get all the money. That Yeah, it's a massive edge. Yeah.
2: Um, which is one of the reasons I haven't played it at a, at a very high level because I frankly don't want to give my money away.
0: Yeah, <laughs> You'd have, to, <laughs> yeah, you'd have to get really, really into it. Is there an yeah. amount of time of playing poker – that you would need to be good at to, to, to that anybody could get good at it or is it a natural talent thing?
2: I certainly think there's some natural talent to it. Not as much as say basketball or golf. You know, mm-hmm. I think some people were just meant to play those games. Um, or they, or they were raised in such a way that they got that natural talent at mm-hmm. a very young age. Um, but you can certainly get better at poker much faster now than you could you know, 50 years ago or 100 years ago. I, I would hesitate to say how much time it would take. I mean, I would say that it took me, probably for the time I decided to take it seriously, I would say it took me five years before I became better than average. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least enough above the average to actually make real money
0: doing it. And what is the thing above... What is the, th- the thing that you can do? So the statistics part, at least. Uh, certainly, I could learn that in a year of reading books and watching videos, or no?
2: You could probably learn the general statistics. But learning how to apply that information would mm-hmm. probably take you longer.
0: Uh, I do have an ad today, so I'm going to do that right now, and it will be done. Now, the ad, of course, is for Loot Crate. Now, Loot Crate's been a very cool sponsor. I've been thrilled to have them on the show. I got another box from them last month that came a couple of weeks ago. And it was tremendous. Now, here's something that was in it that I thought was particularly awesome. There, a reprint of the number the issue number one of Superman comic book. Now, this is something that I have not seen before or had, but this is from like way back, like 50s or something like that. It's an old comic book and it's an exact replica of it. Now, what a cool thing to have sitting around your house. What a conversation piece. What a great thing to put on your coffee table, to put by your toilet, to show people, and just imagine where some of this lore and legend and stuff that, that makes our pop culture today came from. I thought I thought it was incredible. I also had some Ninja Turtles stuff in there. Uh, one of those things I'm going to re-gift to somebody that I happen to know is a Ninja Turtles fan. Uh, and then also, of course, I got a T-shirt and pin. Like every month they send out a T-shirt and pin that's very cool, my size, and something I really like a lot. Now, let me tell you about what they... Essentially... This is a great thing to get. You get housewares and collectibles, stuff to have around your house. Don't have a boring house. Don't have a, an empty bachelor pad apartment. Get stuff sent to you that you can look at, decorate, put on a shelf, have a conversation piece about. That's why I think Loot Crate is great. And a, if you have an empty house, now look, if you're a hoarder and your house is full of junk, I don't know, think maybe get rid of some stuff and then get Loot Crate. But if your house isn't even decorated, if you don't even have cool stuff in your house, this is for you. So this month coming up, they've uh, they're putting together a theme called Build, and they this is going to feature stuff from Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, Batman, Lego Dimensions, and Tetris. And as always, their monthly T-shirt and pen. So you have until the nineteenth at nine p.m. Pacific. Uh, that's February nineteenth at nine p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive this month's crate. And when that cutoff happens, it's all over. So make sure to head to lootcratecom down. ...and enter the promo code DOWN, and you'll save $3 off any new subscription today. They've got a lot of stuff over there. Lootcrate.com, L-O-O-T-C-R-A-T-E.com, forward slash down, promo code DOWN.
1: My name is Melanie Studley, and seven years ago, I wanted to divorce my husband, Seth, who happens to be a therapist. However, we did not get a divorce. Instead, we
0: documented the process of repairing our nearly failed marriage. Part of the power is it's so unspoken. Like, you're such a jerk about it. I would rather be divorced than fight like this all the time. So join us as we interview couples, therapists, doctors, and more on the all-new Stronger Marriages podcast. Subscribe on iTunes or visit StrongerMarriages.com forward slash podcast. And what is the most abstract skill that is valuable to a poker player? Is it is it really come down to reading people or behavior stuff. Is that, is that, and that's, that's, uh, much more nebulous as far as how to learn it. You just, that's just experience, but is that a real right. part of the skill or is it the, is it primary or, or just some secondary part of it?
2: I think in terms of live poker, it's probably more important than most people realize. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is something you can learn, but it also there, you know, as much as we can kind of laugh about the old school, like gut feeling players, mm-hmm. there is a big factor to that. Um, but at the end of the day, learning, uh, the, like the numbers and the statistics, if you learn those things and never learn a single thing about reading people, you'll do better than the other way around. Yeah. You know, um, just because like I was saying earlier, like math just doesn't lie. So if you, if you play in such a way that you're, you're going to win X number of dollars per hand then and you do that a million times eventually you're just going to win
0: so your other business that you do is tournamentpokeredge.com correct yep okay so that's a poker site where you have professionals on there and they're teaching you the what they do what exactly do they do there it's not it's not a math (laughs) tutorial over there
2: no i could have some of that Mm -hmm. so or So what we do is essentially... It's essentially... The way I always describe it to people who know nothing about poker is I say it's like Netflix, except instead of movies, we have videos that teach you how to win Mm -hmm. at poker. Uh, And there are some other aspects too, strategy articles and forums and things like that. But the primary offering is these training videos. And some of those videos teach you math. Uh Some of them teach you like general game theory. There are things about live reads uh, and tells. Um, But the, the most general way that it works is that somebody records their screen while playing online poker and essentially talking through their decision points. Okay. So they'll explain, okay, this is why I'm raising here. This is why I'm folding here. This is why I'm betting this amount instead of this amount. Um, and yeah, we are, you know, our general goal is to get people to the point where they can play poker tournaments and at least have a, A really good shot at winning. Mm -hmm. We don't, you know, obviously we don't say, Oh, if you take our course for six months, you will win the main event. Um, but we certainly give you a better chance of winning.
0: That's cool. And so is it a lot of your work? Uh, yeah. How does that work for you? How much percentage of your income do you make from doing the website versus playing gaming?
2: So the general breakdown is probably something like 60% like sixty percent Tournament Poker Edge, thirty mm-hmm. percent Lone Rider Brewing Company, ten percent poker. So the actual playing part of my game is a pretty small amount, although so I look at I look at my time playing poker as As making me money, not just at the table. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a lot of marketing and sponsorship stuff and making appearances and creating content. So if I go and play the World Series of Poker main event, then I can do a podcast about it afterwards. And I can talk about the hands I played. So there could be some sort of yeah uh, like a nebulous area there where I could argue that it actually makes me more than it does because I can use that information. But that's sort of the general breakdown.
0: Do uh, could you play poker to make like if you if your website went out of business and you lost the other thing could you earn a living playing poker but by just upping the amount you play and like is the statistic there like if you can make ten percent of your income reliably or twenty percent couldn't you just triple the amount? You spend? Couldn't I loan you a hundred grand, and then you, you whatever it would be, and then you would just make you know multiple put a zero on on your online poker activity?
2: Yeah, that that's a very good point. So part of the problem is, is that by investing more, you're essentially saying you're going to play higher. So mm-hmm. instead of playing a hundred dollar tournament, you're going to play a thousand dollar tournament. Mm-hmm. But the players are going to be much better. Yeah, at the thousand dollar tournament. Um, but in general, yes, I think.
1: Oh, I could. that's interesting.
0: Because so yeah, but, basically, if you had more time, you could play more low-level poker and yeah, earn and more. But you, you, what I would, you has it's a volume problem, right? Yeah. And that's
2: what I would like. So if you if you told me tomorrow, okay, you, you're you're losing all this other income, and you have to make a living from poker, I wouldn't go play bigger tournaments. I would just play way more hours and way more tables simultaneously. Yes. At yeah. the same level, that makes sense. Because if my if my ROI, if my return on investment in poker is twenty percent. Then all I have to do is up my volume, uh-huh. and I'll make twenty percent of more. So,
0: is that yeah. is it something like? Do you have that stat? Is it do you have an ROI of your time in poker and how it pays out?
2: Yes, although unfortunately now it's a little more difficult because with the um, with all the regulation, not, not so when these poker sites when the regulated poker sites went away, so did many of the sites that tracked your results.
1: Uh-huh.
2: So a lot of people will ask me, oh, you know, how much do you make? And I frankly don't have a very good answer because I don't know. Um, there was a time when I knew. So I can and when you knew that, what was it? I, I want to say like maybe twenty fifteen or twenty percent.
0: So fifteen or twenty percent edge over fifty fifty. Yeah, basically. But that's right. huge. Like if you look at casino games or anything like the house edge on craps and roulette are just under 50 percent. Like they're in the high 40s percent, you know, five. Right. All, the house edge is often a one to a few single digit percentage on any game. So if you're playing poker, you're saying your edge is 15 to 20 percent. That's really big. Yeah. In the, and, in the and, style of game you play with the opponents you play.
2: Right. And that and that was just playing that particular format of poker. But there there was another very specific style of poker or, or style of poker tournament that my, my ROI over a pretty good sample of games was around 40%. Mm-hmm. So if I really wow. wanted to, I could just go play exclusively those kind of games and make a much higher ROI. They just weren't as much fun, but...
0: So something that's interesting about your path of getting here, it, you know, and I know people are super interested in this, but you're in the music business. You were, what did you, what do you call what you're doing? I would, I just always say you were the distro guy for tooth and nail. Yeah. But what was it more my, specifically than that?
2: I think my formal title was director of sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe we added a digital marketing tag at the end once iTunes got big. But essentially, I was the sales guy. I was the guy who was in charge of getting CDs into record stores. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And so Derek lived in California at the time, had worked for Capitol Records, played in a band, grew up in just Southern California, stuff like that. And then just – that's the thing about people that wind up doing really cool shit is it's not – I would like to try to figure out what is going on there. And I don't care about doing, I don't typically do anything biographical on this podcast, like tell me about your dad or whatever. But um, <laughs> can you, I, okay, let me give a little quick story. So when I met you, you were just the guy in that did the distro in California, but very cool, very into, like wasn't a business guy. And when we'd come through, you'd be at the shows, you'd bring your kid, we'd stay at your house. And it was like, oh, this guy is so into this whole world, you cared about it. You had the stuff on your walls. You were living and breathing the thing that you were into, which was music, sales, distribution, and the, I guess the style of music that we were doing even. And yeah. so um, that st- stuck out to me. And so then you were around for a while. And then at some point, I'm trying to remember in my brain how I trace your story. But at some point, you had moved to North Carolina and then the music business had changed and you weren't working for to- Tooth and Nail anymore. Now, here's the interesting part. One day, somebody told me, you know, Derek Tenbush is working at Guitar Center in Raleigh or something like that. And at that point, yeah. I was like, "Oh man, poor God, this—he's so, <laughs> like he's really falling on hard times. And he's, is he a loser now? What happened to Derek? I mean, he had this cool job, and then it just went away. I guess that's that's it. And how he just works at Guitar Center. Oh man, I remember having that feeling or thought at the time. Um, and I don't remember how long it was between then and when I saw you last or whatever. But then of course, when I saw you last, well, you're doing this, you're doing this. And here you are again into another career, multiple doing multiple different things that you're immersed in, care about and are fun and have turned into a living. So tell me about how when you somehow got, which proves to me you didn't get lucky. Like, oh, I knew some people right. and I got this cool ass music job, which doesn't happen by the way. Um, yeah. And even if that did happen, now you've lost that changed things, moved across the country, doing all this stuff. What was, what? Uh, tell me from your side, how did that time look and feel and how did you know to get from wherever you were to what you're doing now very successfully?
2: Yeah, so I, I've always had this mentality and I honestly don't know where it began. I think it started in college um, because I got to go work for my uncle who ran like, uh, it was called University Events. And it was essentially putting on concerts and speakers and things like that. So like lighting guys and sound guys. And he would take me on the side to do rigging, concert rigging. So we would like hang the lights for Metallica Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And I think that's when it triggered in my mind. Like I, I wanted to go to work. Like I would, I would lose sleep if I was like going to do like the Def Leppard concert the next Mm -hmm. day. Cause I was so excited and I think it made me realize that I don't ever want to not feel like that. Yeah. Like, I don't want to wake up in the morning and go, oh, God, it's Monday. The last thing I want to do is go to this stupid job. So that's how I ended up getting in the music business. I basically was like, well, what do I What do I really love and what do I want to do every day? And I just loved music. But everybody says guitar. that, though, Derek. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I, But I think the problem is, is that most people aren't willing. Like, people say they yeah. want to do something, but they really don't. That's like, right. So yeah. my first internship in the music industry was in New York City. And I was so poor that I essentially saved up. I, I didn't have any money to save, so what I did is I took cash advances—the minimum cash advance on my credit
1: card—like
2: mm-hmm. every day or every other day or whatever, until I had enough money to pay rent on a New York City apartment, and I oh just handed gosh. it over in cash. And I—I I was with my wife, uh, then girlfriend. We lived together in New York City, and we would we would like pick magazines out of the garbage to read we had no bed we had no how phone. did you get her no to,
0: to tag along for that journey
2: she just loved me <laughs> oh man she's like you're so cool i want to go no i think she was she was kind of excited about it too you know we, we had we were in college in michigan and i think we both wanted to go like explore the world and see cool things and it probably seemed more fun in it you know in advance than it felt once we got there yeah. because we really struggled like it i mean we were about as poor as you can be. I mean, we, we didn't have food to eat and things like that. But it got me experience in the music well, industry. Well, people say got,
0: that like, like it's a hacky thing. Like oh, every successful person goes, one time I had to, whatever. But the point of that is not to uh, say I'm so – it really points less to the fact that you were poor and successful like in a braggy way, like I've come so far. It's really trying to prove – the, the thing you're saying there is most people, of course, don't sacrifice for that long. They, they're just right. not willing to sacrifice. Anybody could. It's not, you could have had more money. It wasn't that you grew up poor or were dirt poor. You just simply were willing to make sacrifices for longer than other people yeah. would. The and people I, that say they wanted that-, that internship, but they, I mean, they can't afford to go do that. Or even if they can't afford to do it, they expect to get paid or get paid soon, you know. Right.
2: And I recognize that it's like a cliche, like a cliche yeah. story. But I have, I have friends all the time who say to me, oh, man, it must be so nice. You just get to play poker and drink beer mm-hmm. and go see concerts. And I've heard that same story my entire 20-year career. Like, N- regardless so of what nice. you
0: were doing, people are always responding to you that way because you're always putting yourself in those positions.
2: Yeah. And I, and they were like, I wish I could do that. And I would say, you can. You
0: can. Like, well, and first of all, you don't. And no, you can. Because I always say about with touring, people right. want to be on tour all the time. It, it can be... I cannot tell you how many people that I know for sure if they were one of the guys in my band would have quit. I can almost pinpoint to you this guy said he wanted to do that. If he was here for this day, I promise you he would have, right. I, I, you know. All it is is if you're willing to sacrifice and do the hard things long enough is the way I look at right. it.
2: Yeah, Because everybody yeah, wants to
0: go on tour for a day or do poker or do I'll do an internship. That'd be a crazy three months. Or yeah. How,
2: yeah <laughs> I, like how many people have asked you over your career, hey, can I be your guitar tech? You know, <laughs> right. can, can I come on the road with you? And mm-hmm. they don't want to go on the road with you. No. <laughs> they think they do. They think
0: they do. Um,
2: but that I, it's funny. You brought—you mentioned the Guitar Center thing because this is one of my favorite things to tell people. I miss working at Guitar Center so much. So when I went to work at Guitar Center... Well, how did need- you
0: get... Was that a low point? I, may, I don't mean to misread that, but was that a low point for you? Like, well, shit, I got to just at least get a job now. No, not at all. In fact, I didn't need the job. Okay, good. Um, that makes me feel better. Yeah, I had left tooth and nail
2: um so when i went from emi to tooth and nail i got a very nice severance package really nice severance package and then i i made good money at tooth and nail and then when i left tooth and nail i got another really nice severance package so i never really worried about the money very much what i did what i did do was get bored so i had started building tournament poker edge on the side with a friend of mine and that was like a pretty long process um and then i saw an ad like on the online and it was like guitar center and I'm like, how much fun would it be to go sit in guitar center and play guitar all day and just talk to people about guitars? Like that sounds like the greatest thing ever. And I know that there are a lot of people who've worked at guitar center and hated it. Mm -hmm. And it's probably because they were like, you know, it's a very sort of commission driven, like hardline sales job, but I never treated it that way. I just went in there and like a twelve year old kid would walk in and be like, I wanna I wanna play guitar. What guitars should I buy? And I was just like, This is the best. I, I miss working there and I've actually thought about going back. Wow. Like I would love to go if I could, I would go sell guitars at Guitar Center like one day a month just for the experience
0: of doing it Yeah well I work there too and I enjoyed it too but the problem with stuff like that is it, you know the way you describe that actually makes sense but it's like <laughs> it's like a non-traditional student you know when you go to college and there's the kids like oh shit I got homework or this lecture what's the attendance policy how many skips do I get and then there's the 35 year old in the class that sits oh, yeah. in the front seems excited to be there and it's really annoying. That's right, you at right. Guitar Center. Like you oh, didn't need the money. Me. Like you you under. I mean, it's a little different because it wasn't about money, but it's uh you were there and didn't need the money, so you didn't feel the pressure, and you already knew you had other stuff going, so you actually could enjoy. You didn't have to pressure somebody or feel like you had to close everything. You just got to do the fun part of the job, maybe right. in a way that that the twenty two year old doesn't.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I still I'm still friendly with some of the people from Guitar Center, and I should ask them, but I have no doubt they were like. Who is this old right. dolt here and selling guitars <laughs> and not caring when he doesn't sell anything? Yeah, and like not pushing the warranty that you're supposed to sell mm-hmm. because I just didn't care if they bought the warranty. Uh, I remember when I interviewed for the job, the guy was like, "You have a master's degree, like why are you and and 15 years of marketing experience? Why are you here to sell guitars?" And I'm like, "Guitars are cool. <laughs> like, I want to sell guitars." So yeah, I loved it. So. I'm I'm sure that there are many other people in my life who are like, "Wow, Derek's working a guitar center. Don't they pay like seven fifty an hour or something?" But I would, I would go back in a heartbeat if I had a spare day a month to do it.
0: Well, see, that attitude in itself is what I would like to identify tra- is the thing it translates, and I'm not, I, I can't help in a reciprocal conversation to compare it to me. Although I'm yeah. n- not in tr- trying to do that, but my favorite thing to do is just wire lights for this. Room I'm in, or put figure out how to paint the wall, or cut this table that I do. I mean, it's the little you know. I got into audio and music in a very similar way. I uh, I got into it, and then I had the opportunity to do a stagehand work in at Carowinds in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we were doing rigging and helping unload the trucks and just being hands. And I just. You know, it, all I did was love that and just watch the big front of house rigs and the monitors and how they hooked them up. Everybody else is just pushing the job, like doing doing what they tell them to get the hourly. And I'm just like, how does that work? What is a three-way speaker? And then I would get uh, garbage that they had there that they had thrown out, old cables and old monitors and stuff that were broken and just take them home and fix them. And just, yeah. you know, why I, my, all the mic cables I used to have were mic cables that were discarded that I resoldered and then used them to build a little PA and then would go do sound for $75 a night and on weekends in college. I mean, that wasn't a business plan or anything. It's just what I right. wanted to do. And to this day, given the opportunity and taking the pressure off of all the things I do that do earn money, that's all I would like. I mean, that's the most fun, relaxing thing to me. If I could repair, I have a rule now where I don't let myself repair cables. I must throw them out because it's a total waste <laughs> of my time. I I can afford cables but i yeah. like painting and cutting stuff with a jigsaw and wiring cables and and designing just you know just doing little stuff like that i still like it and i think right. if having that mentality is what translates to the, the next thing and the next thing and and but it's weird because that everybody these days wants to do something with meaning and what they like and i don't i don't know how to i mean i don't think there's a how-to on it and the, the reality is most people don't really. How do you reconcile that? That everybody wants a job with meaning, but they're not willing to? I mean, should everybody just be poor or be willing to work for free? Does that really is that you can't really give that advice to other people?
2: No. And I, I mean, obviously, it depends a lot on where you are in life and what responsibilities you have and things like that. But I think that a lot of people think too narrow. So they say, well, I really like golf. You know, I, I love playing golf. That's the thing I love to do. And then you say to them, "Well, why don't you do that for a living?" And they think you're saying, "Go be Tiger Woods." Mm-hmm. That's right. But you're not. What you're saying is, "Well, have you thought about starting a golf podcast, or would you consider like working in a pro shop, or, you know, start a website that is like the Yelp of golf sites that, mm-hmm. that you know tells you who the best like coaches are and where the best mm-hmm. restaurants are at the golf club, all this different stuff." So they think so narrowly. Like I liked playing poker but I don't think I really wanted to be a professional poker player. And I recognize that, but what I, what I re- so I thought about, it, I'm like, well, what do I like to do? What, like what about poker do I like? And what I really like about it is talking about it. Mm-hmm. I love strategizing, talking hands, telling people bad beat stories. Uh, I like watching it on TV. I like all that. You know, I love the whole community of it. So it's like, well, I'll just build my own poker community and I'll charge people to be a part of it and I'll make a living doing it. Um, so I think people just need to like, open their mind up a little bit Mm -hmm. you know so if
0: you do uh, what what uh, whatever it is that you want to do in that realm and do it long enough and just make sure you're better at it than other people eventually you will more that's what that's what that i believe is opportunity is the thing you're always fighting for not pay that's that's something i do tell people is any success you have anything you do the the way that you get paid for it is your now future opportunity so if you start a golf podcast eventually it might be big and don't worry about if you get ads on your Daggum podcast or anything, just it just being respected enough that then you can talk to the people that you simply want to talk to, and then you get right. to learn from them, and then you have the opportunity maybe to go watch them, and then you have the opportunity to talk to somebody they know, and then you make friends with that guy's manager who in the sports world who knows where it goes. But you, what you continually have from hard work is new opportunity, not pay. Pay, right? I mean, it's something. I mean, money is something you can always leverage for more opportunities. The way to look at it. Sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you can leverage the opportunities for more money. Yeah. And then it's just like a continuing cycle. Yeah. I mean, like certain things. At at some point, certain things have to sort of fall into place, you Mm -hmm. know, like you can do all the hustling and the the dreaming and the building and stuff. But at some point, like little things have to happen. But you have to put yourself in a position for that to happen. Yeah. So like when I started Tournament Poker Edge, it was me and my co-founder Diego and both of us were recreational poker players. But he has a, a business background. I have a marketing background. So we could build the website, the technical aspects of it. I could promote it. I could do all this stuff. But if we hadn't happened to have stumbled upon a guy named Casey Jarzebek, who is one of the greatest online poker players of all time, um, and he came on as a partner and started doing videos, like if that didn't happen – Tournament, tournament poker, tournament poker, edge wouldn't be as big as it is. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: you you'd be, you'd be net- somewhere, or you may have done something else. But yeah, I, I see that. Right. I mean, for sure, luck's a part of it. And I don't believe there's destiny. Like, oh, I will succeed no matter what. That's not true either. But right. the right mentality over time, much like poker, gives you the the odds that you w- you will pivot at at some point and find the you know you'll fi- if you if you just have an entrepreneurial edge of fifteen percent, then. Right. And you keep at it you, and make good decisions over time, that will pay off. You don't know what it'll yeah. be or what your opportunities right. will be.
2: Here's a perfect example to bring it full circle. So when I went from EMI to Tooth & Nail Records, I had to fly to Seattle to fill out paperwork and you know meet the staff and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. And while I was there, Brandon, my boss at Tooth & Nail, was like, oh, yeah, there's this band coming in to audition today. for a record deal they drove across (laughs) the country from South Carolina and they're going to play in the basement (laughs) for us. And I was like, okay, I guess that sounds cool. And that band was Emory. So if you, like, if you had stayed in South Carolina and stopped playing, you might've gotten big. You might've gotten bigger. I don't know. Like maybe you got, you know, maybe you got a different manager. kind of know, but yeah, Yeah, you kind of know, but who knows,
0: right? Like that was for sure. That was a calculation to increase our odds of stuff happening. And it for sure did increase the, possible future opportunities move to seattle get out of greer yes right
2: yeah so like you know there's a lot of people who want to do a lot of things Mm -hmm. but are they going to pack up in a van and drive across the country and work at guitar i assume you worked at guitar center in seattle right so you had to go across the country take a job you didn't really love uh, do all these things to build that so like but that didn't guarantee success either Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, well, we're going to move to Seattle, and therefore we'll get a record deal with Tooth and Nail, and we're going to be famous. It'll be perfect. You just put yourself in a better position for something good to happen.
0: And you know the more I think about it, that's exactly right. In fact, we couldn't get a record deal, so we went ahead and made our first record the week's end, paid for it, saved up the money, and did that because we even yeah. that even having a demo and being the band that we were and being in Seattle and talking to the people still didn't get us a record deal. So we w- went ahead again, invested more and made our whole first record just to get that opportunity to play in the basement that day you were there. That was yeah. already after we, had re- we we were Emory with the week's end in hand and still right. trying to do an audition for uh, get somebody a label just to hear us play and then even still it wasn't that easy to get a record deal. <laughs> it was right, still really right. hard. <laughs> So I
2: always remember that story and I, 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 I think it's a perfect parallel to like what entrepreneurship is like, you know, cause you have to make those tough decisions and you have to sacrifice certain things. You know, you can't, maybe you don't get to have the nicest car or the nicest house or whatever, but like one of my, one of the people who I follow closely as sort of an entrepreneurship mentor is Gary Vaynerchuk and he's mm-hmm. been talking a lot recently about how, you know. You have to you have to decide: Are you happier making one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year, but living in a great house and having a nice car and going on vacations, or would you be happier in a house half the size with a car half as expensive, but making seventy five thousand, doing something you absolutely love doing every day? And for me, the answer is super easy. Yeah, it's not even close.
0: Well, it's that you know the other thing that reminds me of is when people like. It's something about sacrifice, but it's more of a mindset even. It's, it doesn't feel like sacrifice. Like, you know, you hear the people that they do, they're talking to Dave Ramsey on the phone. He's telling them, well, you got to get rid of this debt. I mean, you're just eating out and you have this nicer car than you need. And those people are always like, yeah, but you know, I can't. I guess I could cut back on this, and that feels like you're just. It's like that just feels like you're losing when you do that. But then those same people, if they get into it, will get in this mode where they're they'll, they'll tell you go out to dinner with them. and They're like, um, last week we were able to put twenty two hundred dollars to our credit card, and they're delighted about that. Which right. that the fact, and and they get so into paying off debt like it's its own reward. They don't. They're no longer thinking. I don't get to buy the nicer chips at the grocery store anymore. They they don't right. you, that that they st- gain this whole new motivation that they are into, which is at that time paying off debt, which it gets a, gives them a better feeling than I guess I'll just go out to eat again because I'm lazy ever did, right. So yeah. they're receiving less, sacrificing and feeling better about it. because yep. they, they like the the path that we're on, and that's not entrepreneurship, but that is an illustration of how your mindset is more important than, you know, your car. I mean, who, who cares what your car, car is? You can set up a life where right. you do care and you can set up a life where you don't care. You'll get more done if you don't care.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah, and I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, like the societal pressures or the, the perceptions that people have of you. Mm-hmm. So much of it is based on that. Like, what company do you work for? What job do you have? What church do you go to? What, like, it's all about like this perception but if you just decide, well, I don't, don't care. care, it yeah. doesn't matter to me at all. You yeah. know? Um, it's just way more fun, way more fun. I was so excited for this pod, like just this podcast, like the fact that I, I'm, little, I'm literally getting paid to do this right now. Not by you. Not by me. But, but there is, you know, I am essentially generating income because I'm building content for myself. Oh, for that's good. That's no, really like, good.
0: Do you? I, and I would love it. I hope people want to go to your website if they want to go to. Uh, and uh, our time's up here, but we'll go to dot com. Um, do you have a? We'll take this out if 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 you don't. But uh, do you have a, a promo code? Is there anything that we could do to send people there directly and measure it for you? Yeah, this absolutely, is not an ad so. podcast, but I wouldn't mind. I'd be interested. I'd be interested to know if you have a, a landing page or a promo code if anybody wanted to go check it out.
2: Yeah. So if people want to check it out. Um, if they just use the coupon code green chip, mm-hmm. all one word, green chip, uh, that'll get them 10 bucks off their first month.
0: Cool. Well, let's try that. I don't know if anybody out there is poker people or not. I have no idea. But, um, yeah, it's all good. I would love it if you reported back and said that you had a dozen people tried it out because of the podcast with the promo code green chip. Yep. At tournamentpokeredge.com. Okay. Well, Derek, uh, this is very easy. Ever heard of stoicism?
1: through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to StoicismPod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it.
2: Hey there, I'm Johnny Christ from Revenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks With Johnny, streaming everywhere now.